Well, sometimes I'll be driving um, to church in the morning and I'll be thinking with, you know, my, my car is never a solitary car. Well, very rarely is it a solitary car. Usually my kids are with me and they'll be having conversation. We'll be talking about things. And this morning, I don't know if it was out of nowhere or what it was, but I was just like, man, it's so hard to not have a way of production about us to be like, okay, we formulated, we've got a plan. Now let's produce something. This is all about results. This is about coming up with some kind of a, um, a desired end. And so I was just thinking about this text and, and how, um, how tempting it is when you're going to, when we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning for me to remove myself from the material and just share it with you guys almost as a, well, here's a, some third-party information for you and, and have fun with it, right? But there needs to be a reality about this. my prayer that you, like, I'm not standing up against self before the world. So that's really my prayer this morning, and that's a prayer. Is I'm here with all the answers, but I'm standing word of God that holds the answers for all of us together. This holds the answers for us collectively. And so the following is important, I think, for us as we approach this specific verse of the Bible. Personal happiness is worshipped in our world. Personal happiness is worshipped in our culture. It's what we strive for. It's what we aim for. And in fact, if you were to tell somebody that you're unhappy, what is their immediate response? Probably, if they, if they care about you, to try and make you happy. Right? Well, what do we do when a friend of ours is down? We try to cheer them up. Right? Bring some cheer. Bring some encouragement. Now, I'm not saying that that's bad. And I'm not saying it's a wrong thing for us to seek after happiness and to consider, our, to consider ourselves failures if we aren't happy. Like, we need to be looking to those things. It's okay to be happy. I'm not like the down. You guys know me. I'm not like the wet blanket guy, right? I mean, people that know me know that if I'm hanging out with you, I'm usually like pretty upbeat and having, you know, like, hey guys, like you go to a youth camp. It's, we're having a great time together. It's not wrong to buy someone a card, to send them a message. We should be encouraging each other, and we should support and seek to infuse joy into each other's lives. However, there are times when happiness is not appropriate, and we need to become comfortable with that. We need to be more comfortable with not being happy all the time, because a lot of times happiness is a sham. Happiness is a mask we're wearing. And think about it. It's not that we should be like, you know, the, the old joke of like um, <laughs> Christians, you know, look like horses because they have such a long face all the time. That's, that's not like, that shouldn't be said amongst us. It shouldn't be like, wow, this is the first church of the grumpy Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is there are appropriate times to be upset. There are appropriate times to mourn, if you will, is what we're going to look at this morning. And there are appropriate times to have happiness and joy, and that it's okay to have both of those aspects in our lives at those times. We shouldn't try to force happiness all the time. We shouldn't force cheer all the time. When laughter is not the best medicine, we need to recognize that. You know, And, and, and I think that it's just pushed on us by our society so hard that like you should be happy, and if you're not, become happy, Right? Think about what you hear in sitcoms. Well, you shouldn't be with somebody that you're not happy with. So what do you do? Dump the relationship. Become more happy by putting yourself in a situation. Now, hold on. Who's that about? It's all about us. It's all about me if all I care about is me being happy all the time. 
I think we understand that sometimes cheer is flat out wrong. It's the wrong emotion. I think we understand the physical sense, meaning that if we go to a funeral, having a lot of cheer may not be a good idea, right? Or if one of your friends is sad, not to be like that person that's like running around acting like a fool. We understand that in the physical sense, I think. But do we understand in the spiritual sense that there are situations when happiness, laughter, and cheer are not appropriate? Do we understand in the spiritual sense it is inappropriate at times to be happy, cheerful, and to be full of laughter? It's hard because in our society we're told much the opposite. We should always have that, right? We should always feel this way. But here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has just begun the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to face the second beatitude this morning. And as is the case with the first, Jesus addresses a spiritual reality that we have to face in this sermon, that those who are poor in spirit, as we talked about last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The next beatitude connects to it. And as we talked about poverty of spirit, those who are poor in spirit will naturally be those who mourn the reality of sin in their own lives and in the world. Those who recognize that they are impoverished in spirit will mourn their own personal sin and thereby mourn the sin of the world that they see around them. It does not mean we'll be perpetually downcast, but it means that we have to wrestle with and deal with the reality of sin in our own lives and sin in the world. And that when we come to that place, we'll recognize the second half of this beatitude to be quite true. It begins this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. I encourage you to have your Bibles open, to marinate and chew on these words. Remember, we're doing a concentrated dose on the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to just overview the whole, all the beatitudes and be like, all the beatitudes in one week. We're taking one a week. And we want to chew on it. We want to think about it. We want to marinate on it. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To separate the first two beatitudes from each other would be to break a theological train of thought. It would be to break a theological train of thought that Jesus is taking us along and setting before his followers, the two are connected clearly. Clearly, those who are impoverished in spirit and have acknowledged the sinfulness of their hearts must mourn or grieve that brokenness. If you recognize how broken we are without the Lord, then how much should we mourn the sin that has broken us? Or mourn the sin that, that has been there. And I'm not saying grovel. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not saying roll around in it. But D.A. Carson said it really well. Mournfulness can be understood as the emotional counterpart to poverty in spirit. Mournfulness is the emotional counterpart. If we're truly broken, then we grieve it. We grieve that sin. And because this is a mournfulness of spirit, we understand that in this context, Jesus is not primarily talking about mourning the loss of of a loved one. Although we can connect it to that because when we lose people or we lose things in this life, we're losing things because of sin. We're broken because of sin. And when we lose somebody, death is in this world because of sin. And so you can carry it to that point. But primarily what we're talking about is the brokenness of spirit and the sorrow for the, for unrighteousness. It's not bereavement, but the sorrow of repentance you realize that repentance will look like grief. Brokenness over our sin and turning unto God and saying, I failed, would you heal me? 
And do we come to this place often where we are mournful of spirit over our personal sin, over our own brokenness? This is the transition of acknowledgement of sin unto repentance of sin. As one scholar wrote, confession is one thing, contrition is another. How many people do you know that have a hard time admitting that they're a sinner? Most people I know will freely do it. You know, you're like, well, we're all sinners. Oh, yeah, bro, I'm a sinner. (laughs) Why are you laughing? You ever think about how we laugh off something we should be mourning? Something we should be grieved over? Let's not compare ourselves to anyone else. Okay, so like, there's a temptation in me to look at other other churches, other Christians, other believers, and be like, yeah, that's right. You should be more mournful than you are. What are you hopping around for? Right? I mean, that's not that's not what I'm... I, it's not my job to go around and correct everyone's problems. You guys realize that, right? It's not my job to go around and correct everyone's problems. It's my job, my calling here on this earth to be honest about who I am, to obey what God has said for me to do, and then to call others to do the same. And so when I look at this, let's not compare ourselves to any other church, to any of the other believers. Let's answer these questions for ourselves. Are we contrite? Are we contrite? Are we repentant? I love you, dude. This kid, he's like, there's no way you're not going to crack a smile during this sermon when I'm laughing at you. You guys, are we broken? Am I broken and have I recognized? Have I repented? Because the poverty of spirit is recognition of sin. That's acknowledgement. But contrition comes when we turn unto God. That is the flavor or the direction of repentance. That is repentance. Not only when I recognize that I've fallen, but I am doing something about it. Am I fixing myself? Oh, no, no. I'm not going to preach works-based religion. Paul deals with that in Romans. Read it. Right? Paul's all about it in Romans. You are not going to earn your salvation through works. But when we repent, we turn unto God and we say, you are right. I am wrong. Heal me. Fix me. We have to be realistic about our sin if we're to be in that place. Are we mournful when we're faced with the reality of our sin? Do we weep over our sin? When was the last time you sinned and you were broken to tears over it? Church, that needs to be felt. We weep over a great many things, but when was the last time you and I wept? Because we have fallen so far short of what God called us to be. Don't worry. The second half of the Beatitudes is going to encourage us. Don't worry. Don't get too beat down. But we have to deal with this reality first because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. By the way, if you want to modernize that a little bit, happy are those who are unhappy. That's a really simplistic way of saying it. Happy are those who are unhappy. Well, you're like, how? That's, that's like an oxymoron. It's not at all. Because when we recognize that that unhappiness is with our own sin, that turning unto God, that repentance heals us, then we recognize that it truly is happy are those who repent unto God. Because he is going to be the one who heals us. And I can't fix me, have you not noticed? That's a statement for all of us. You can't fix you. I can't fix you. I can't fix me. Some people are like, help me, I'm in trouble. I'm like, well, God's word says this. But what do you advise I do? Like, don't ask for my opinion. Like, I, I can kind of try and give you some pointers off of based off of my own mistakes. But I'm just going to point you to God's word and say, do what it says because God is the one who prescribed it and his word is truth. 
If I'm basing my, my, you know, what I'm saying off of his word, then it's good. But if I'm not, if it's just my opinion, it's garbage. That's why last week I was warming you guys up. I don't know if you felt it. And I don't know if I said it at both services. I think I did. But like, I think I did. If I stop preaching repentance of sin, leave this church. We have to deal with this because Jesus dealt with it. It was his message from Matthew chapter 4. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You are poor in spirit. Cannot stop. It was Cannot stop. Why? Why? Because you're broken. He's saying this. We coming to this place of saying, God, I'm wrecked. You know that you still struggle with sin. I know that I still struggle with sin. But why is it that we think that we had to repent one time, be saved, and not deal with it again? Because we all recognize that we still have a battle for sin going on inside. We have flesh and spirit that's warring against itself. But why in the world would we think that we should stop repenting? John says in 1 John chapter 1, he says, confess your sins. He says, if you confess, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you for all righteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. You guys, we need to make a practice of confession and repentance unto God. You realize this is a fellowship breaker. John chapter 13, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. Peter says, give me a bath because he totally misunderstands what Jesus is doing. And Jesus says, no, you're clean. What's he saying? You're saved, Peter. But if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Fellowship is broken when we let sin come between us and God. And Paul makes it so clear throughout Romans. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are slaves to righteousness. Amen. So stand in the truth of God's word and run to him. Run to him in that place. Like the prodigal son running home to the father, run and be like, Lord, forgive me again. I messed up. Over and over and over again, let us adopt an attitude and a mindset of repentance and confession. And confession should always lead to repentance if we want that to restore us. And I used to say this to my youth group all the time. You are confession and repentance away from restoration. Because God isn't standing off going, jump through hoops, jump through hoops now. That's not him. He says, confess your sin, repent, and I will heal you. I will restore you. Are we too concerned? I don't think that we have a joy problem in our church, by the way. I don't know if you guys have noticed. It's hard. We were talking about this earlier. It's hard to get the first service people out in time for a second service because we just love being around each other. It's just, you know, everyone really enjoys each other's company. That's awesome. Don't ever quit. Don't ever stop that. But are we so worried about being Christian wet blankets that we're afraid to weep and mourn with each other? Oh, I don't want to bring down the mood. Oh, that's not what we're here for. We're supposed to, we're supposed to walk out of here just to skip in our step. Maybe not. Maybe we should walk out of here hanging our heads a bit. Why? Because you should feel like garbage? No, because we recognize that through recognition and repentance of sin, God will heal us there. Maybe there are times where we should be in mourning. All the emotions of the Psalter should be taken into account. When we look at God's word, isn't it funny how we always read the Psalms and we're like, oh, I'm going to stand and praise the Lord. What about when he was down on the ground? Like, just kill me. I'm done. So sick of this life. Why don't you kill me now? You know, like, think about this. Elijah. We look at all the things of Elijah. Elijah calls down fire from God. It consumes the entire altar, shows those Baal priests what's up before they died. Right. And then what happens? Jezebel goes, you're a dead man. What does Elijah do? <laughs> and he runs away. 
He runs away. And somebody horribly misquoted this this last week. I don't remember where I saw it. God wiped that from my memory. But they horribly misquoted and they're like, yeah, you know what? You know, even Elijah needed to like eat a meal that God provided and take a nap. And then he felt better. I was like, that is not what made Elijah feel better. They're like, see that? Just have a snack, take a nap. And then Elijah felt better. I was like, no, he didn't. God sustained him on his journey of rebellion to the mountain. And then God faces him there and says, why the heck? <gasps> Mike said, heck, are you here? Why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah goes, I wish you'd just kill me and let me die already. I'm done with this. I'm the only guy. And God's like, first of all, there's plenty others. So just, shh. second of all, what does he say? Go back. Go back to where you came from and finish the job, son. Because it wasn't time to experience that emotion that Elijah was facing. But God understands when we do. And what Elijah had to learn was submission and repentance unto God, which meant not being happy, but going right back into the furnace. It meant going back into trouble. It meant facing the scary stuff and dealing with the issue. He couldn't run away. God wasn't going to let him. It was funny because it almost looked like God was empowering him to run away for a while. You ever fool yourself that God's on your side? Well, he's blessing me right here with food and provision. Therefore, I'm on the right path. No, he gets there and God's like, what are you doing here? Uh, I, I, I can't take it anymore. So I quit. Being your messenger? <laughs> God's like, go back. Is he even talking about this? I realize I'm infusing humor. I didn't intend to do that. I was trying to be so down. It's hard. I was trying to be so morose. I fail horribly at this. You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? Is even talking about this too much of a downer? Not really the encouragement you wanted this morning. Mike, I just wanted to have a high five. You're doing great, brother. God is your strength. He is my song. It's going to sing those upbeat songs. Blessed be the name, Jesus. Is there anything wrong with telling someone they can make it, that God's with them, God is their strength? No, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, there's no problem with that. But here's the issue that we can have. The power behind the stability and the ability of those words is that we forget that they are given to the weak. What does God do for the prideful? Right? You could easily say he deflates the prideful. But he raises up the humble. Right? God gives his strength and his power to the weak. Look at Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Read about how he came to them in 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. Look at how he said, I came to you, not with all this fancy speech, not with all these words that sounded great. I didn't put on a production. I didn't even have fog machines. I showed up and I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I did it, I was trembling. I was so weak. I was shaking. It was in fear and in trembling that we came to you so that you would not put your faith or your hope in us, but that you would put it in God that you would look to God to be those things. And you realize that so many times we're trying to preach the power of God while looking powerful rather than being as broken and weak and wretched as we actually are. To people who come to Christ wretched and poor of spirit, broken 
both recognizing their need and weeping over their sin. It's there that we'll find healing. Should the follower of Jesus always be forever weepy, perpetually morose? No, that's, that's not the point. Nor should we grovel in self-pity. Some people are like, I have no problem thinking about how terrible I am. Oh, stop it. That's production. We all know that person. We all know that drama person that's like, I'm terrible. I used to had a friend of mine. I hope she doesn't watch this today because I'll have to. You know what I'm doing here. She used to walk up to me at Bible college and go, Mike, I'm such a wretch. And me being the sensitive guy at that time that I am and caring and having a heart like the Lord, I looked at her and I was like, yep. <laughs> Let me count the ways. <laughs> but you guys, I honestly think that she was like reading her Bible and getting really convicted. She's married to a pastor now. He's going to smack me around. He's really buff. But like, you guys, like, you understand that like, that's something that, that we should experience in the word of God. She was sincere. I'm, I'm laughing about it because like she, she was so over the top with it. But like, you realize that that's a good thing if that's in truth, but it's nothing to be faked. And it's nothing to draw attention or pity to ourselves with. Like, think about me, me, oh, poor me. That's not true repentance. That's just pride wearing a veil of repentance. Do we know the difference? Do we know what true repentance looks like? Is it your kid when he looks and goes, I'm sorry, and then goes back and does the same thing? Or is it the kid comes to you and is like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to, I, I do what you got to do. You know, how many of, do we wish our kids would say that, don't we? I see it chuckling over here. It's like, boy, if only my kid actually came to me in sincerity and was like, I'm so broken over this. <laughs> you know, when in actual, I'm so sorry I got caught. I'll do it better next time. There's some truth there. There's some truth there about how we face sin. Are we sorry because we got caught? Lots of pastors have been getting caught lately. Some of them were lucky enough to be dead. <sighs> I don't want to hit you too hard with this, but that's reality. Repent now before it drags the name of Jesus through the mud. Take, take this seriously the brokenness of our heart and our flesh seriously it will wreck the reputation of our king and that matters so much more than us we are blessed when we mourn because god will comfort us there but if we don't mourn we're not recognizing how broken we are and church we think we got it all together i hope that this is the first church of the broken forevermore I hope that this is a church that has no problem recognizing that we need help and recognizing where that help can be found, that it's in Jesus, that his healing is there and ready for us. There's a continuance of mourning that will naturally happen for us as we are given the heart of Jesus. And not only as we're given the heart of Jesus looking at our own circumstances, but a brokenness for the world. When was the last time, church, that we wept over the brokenness of our world? instead of got frustrated with it. BJ shared an amazing um, story this morning after prayer. You didn't know how well connected that was, BJ. He had a, a gas station interaction with somebody who kept stalling their car. 
And, and this person is, as they kept stalling their car, BJ, like people were getting frustrated. He's like, gosh, what if that was somebody I know? I'm really summarizing. I'm compacting it. But what if that was somebody I knew? Would I go and show them compassion? I don't think I'm loving my neighbor like I should. Then later on down the road, as he gets farther along the road, that person left the gas station. BJ fills up his car. And as he gets down the road, he's sitting at a light and someone's not moving at the light. And he's like, come on, it's green. It was the same person stalled out again. Same vehicle. Isn't it quickly? Isn't it crazy how quickly we forget to be broken or compassionate or caring for people around us? We get impatient. And we don't let that heart of repentance within us carry forward into a longing and a brokenness over the repentance of others. We get sick and tired of their garbage and we just want them out of our way. That's every single one of us, church. How broken was Jesus over the sin of the world? Naturally, we want to say, well, enough to die. But, but let me say this, enough to weep. Jesus wept openly during his incarnation, didn't he? I mean, he wept openly over Jerusalem. We can start thinking of the ways, Lazarus, over Jerusalem. There's a third that could be in there if you look at the difference of the gospel accounts. There's a reference in Hebrews about Jesus weeping, shedding many tears of the brokenness of his people. How many times did Jesus laugh? Now, I'm sure Jesus laughed. I mean, you're hanging out with Peter. Come on. But how many times is Jesus recorded in the Gospels as laughing? A little sobriety for our world. A little sobriety for the weight that we bear when we look at what's going on in this world and the responsibility that we have to be ambassadors. It's no excuse to not laugh and have joy. That's not the point. The point is this. Scriptures make it very clear that Jesus wept over his generation, and we should do. We should weep over our generation. And not just like, Lord, give me tears for this generation. I don't think you have to pray for that. I think it should happen. If the Lord's in you, his compassion, his heart will generate that. The sinfulness of the world brought him to tears. And there is such a thing as Christian tears. The question is, how many of us actually weep them? How many of us actually weep tears for our generation? Blessed are those who mourn, those who grieve over their sin, because they will be comforted. They will be comforted. This is the good part. This is the part that we recognize the blessing lay here, because in repentance, there is comfort. What's another way that we could describe this? How are we comforted by God in the brokenness and repentance of our sin? Forgiveness. It's forgiveness. There is no greater comfort than to be forgiven by God Almighty. Forgiven of our sin. John Stott wrote this, Such mourners who bewail their own sinfulness will be comforted by the only comfort which can relieve their distress, namely the free forgiveness of God. That is the ultimate comfort, to be forgiven by the Savior. Those who will find comfort in the midst of their grievous sin will be those who will hear the message of salvation and believe on him who is sent as the angel proclaimed to Matthew one twenty one to Joseph. She, speaking of Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to name his, him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The comfort comes when we recognize that we have been saved from this sin. 
But you realize before that happens, we must repent. We must grieve sin before we can be comforted of that sin. And I want to make sure that that's a healthy process that we're going through. That's something that we're daily recognizing in our lives. Brokenness over sin, receiving the comfort of God. Do you know what that does to us automatically? If we take our sin to the Lord and we confess sin to him, and we repent of that sin, meaning I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to walk with you. Strengthen me in that direction. And he comforts us. Do you realize it is impossible to begin your day prideful in that place? If you repent of your sin, you are grieved over your sin, and he comforts you through forgiveness, it is impossible to begin your day prideful. You may get there eventually, but you have just begun your day with humility. You have just started on your knees, recognizing your brokenness and truth and receiving his forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 61 is a very powerful text. Um, for this idea and it's speaking it's the messiah speaking um, to his people but there's some amazing parallels here and it'll be on the screen behind me isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 the spirit of the lord god is on me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor this is the messiah speaking he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. Those who are forgiven... Those who are comforted by the Lord are given a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. Church, you realize that these things only come to those who repent, to those who repent of sin. The context of Isaiah 61 portrays mourning as expressive of Israel's sorrow over the exile that their sins had caused. And in this light, the beatitude of blessed of those are those who mourn expresses the grief of those suffering the consequences of sin. There's an attitude of repentance and in Christ, the reception of forgiveness. Jesus is preaching a very powerful theological truth. This is how those who mourn are blessed or made happy. The only way to experience true blessedness is to recognize and mourn brokenness. And it's there that he gives a beauty for ashes and strength in replacement of fear and weakness. There are two Psalms that highlight both aspects of this beatitude. Psalm 51, which you're probably familiar with, is the Psalm that David wrote in repentance and brokenness of his sin with Bathsheba after Nathan the prophet came to see him and called him what he was, a murderer and an adulterer. It's the heart and the attitude of someone who mourns. And Psalm 32 reveals the comfort and the forgiveness that come from God when we come to him broken. Praying the Psalms is something I think that we should do as a church. A guy named Christopher Ash, who's written a lot on the Psalms, said you cannot do better than to make the Psalms a central part of your prayers. For in the Psalms, we have the words that God has given us to speak to God. 
such a rich tapestry of praises, laments, meditations, requests, and urgent supplications is given to us that we neglect it at our peril. The Psalms tie our personal prayers to the corporate prayers of the people of Christ in every generation. They warm our hearts, inform our minds, and shape our wills. Pray the scriptures. Pray the words of God. Pray the words of the Psalms. It's so important that we develop an attitude of prayer that's shaped by scripture itself. Isn't it interesting how often we feel like our prayer lives are broken? Some people are like, well, I don't, it's not like getting to prayer, but when I pray, I don't know what to pray. Pray the Psalms. Start praying the words right out of God's word. It starts to shape your will. It starts to shape your life. And so with that in mind, that's what we're going to do as we close this morning. I want us to pray these Psalms together. I'm going to read them and I want you to pray them in your heart. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray. And I just want us to pray these words because it's David walking us through by the power of the Holy Spirit, brokenness, repentance, and forgiveness in the comfort of God. He's going to just pull these two beatitudes and basically walk us right through them. And so this is the, the, the thing that like, I, I, I'm not always like coming to the, the message like, we've got to do something different, kind of break people out of the norm. But sometimes we need to be broken out of routine. It's good for us. It's really a bad thing that we get so settled in our routine and go, okay, we're going to do this now, and then we're going to do this now, and then we're going to do this now. I want us to take a moment here and repent. I want us to actually take a moment and repent of sin. And then I want us to receive forgiveness. I want us to receive the forgiveness of God. I want us to receive that comfort that he has for us. And church, I have a feeling, and I think that this is definitely going to be something that's real, if not in this room, which most likely is this. And the one who's watching on YouTube that will watch this later, that there are people here that need comfort. The reason you're not being comforted is because you haven't repented. You haven't confessed your sin to the Lord. There's something between you and him. There's something blocking you from receiving his comfort and his forgiveness and it's confession and repentance. So, worship team, I'm going to invite you guys to come up and have you guys hit the lights. And I'm going to just read this text, and I would like us to pray it as a church. Would you guys do this with me? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I'm going to try and go kind of slow here because I want us to pray this from our hearts because these words are powerful. And if we can agree with them, and speak them from our own lives. I think there's power to heal because God hears the prayers of the broken. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I've sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence and you're blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. 
Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I'll teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to you, God, is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Psalm 32 How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. And did not conceal my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my my sin. Therefore let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters came they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. God as we pray those words from our hearts. There is just so much brokenness. There is so much comfort. Jesus, what a great salvation you've given to us. There's so much forgiveness. Let everyone who's faithful pray to you immediately so that when the floodwaters come, They're not going to reach us because we're on the rock. When the storms rage, we have a shelter. As it says in your word as well, you're the strong tower for the weak. You're our hiding place. Let us worship. God, receive our worship in spirit and in truth. Because we have prayed these words and we've meant every single one of them. And we receive your forgiveness and we can rejoice. Lord, grief and mourning are appropriate when we recognize the separation and the death that is acquainted with sin. But there is joy forevermore for those who are forgiven. Fill us with that joy.